Amen, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out? And I want you to go to two places of Scripture, please. I want you to go to Matthew 16, and then go over to Acts chapter 5 this morning as we begin a brand new series on uh, the book of Acts. We're actually continuing it from uh, the spring, but we are uh, changing the name of it, and we are uh, talking about um, the Unstoppable Church. Now, did anybody recognize any team on that sermon? bumper video. Yeah, that's right. None other than the best football team in the nation. It's, it's Texas Tech, y'all. Y'all got to get it right. You got to get it right. Well, anyways, we are, we'll be uh, going into this series uh, on the Unstoppable Church, and um, I'm real, really excited about uh, continuing our series um, through this great book of Acts. But before we dive in, I uh, just want to say a big thank you to Chase Boatwright for leading us in worship this morning. Can we give him a round of applause? Thank you, Chase. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. We do appreciate that, and we do want to continue to pray for Josh as he tore a bicep this past week, and uh, uh, not a good thing to happen, but those things happen, and we pray that he'll have a quick and speedy uh, recovery. But let's begin our series on the Unstoppable Church. When I say the word church, what comes to your mind? What do you think about when I say the word church? Now, some people will think of the church as an organization, that, that a church will have pastors, will have deacons, and then some churches will have elders, and so you think of this, this leadership organization. Some of you think of the church as, in, in, in a broader spectrum, that First Baptist Church Brunswick, we are part of the, the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, which is over uh, 4,000 uh, Baptist churches within the state uh, of Georgia, and we are also part of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is almost 50,000 churches, like-minded churches all across um, our uh, nation. So some of you may think, uh, may, may think of an organization when it comes to a church. Some of you may think uh, the church is a building uh, that we, First Baptist Church, we are located at Union and Mansfield Street. Or you may say that uh, First Baptist Church is located uh, across the street from Glen Academy and that brand new nice parking lot. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay, maybe not. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but thank you, Glenn County Schools and everybody's taxpayers, uh, tax dollars. We appreciate that, but uh, it looks good. But what do you think about when we talk about the church? You know, an interesting thing is going on in our, in our world and in our age today. For the first time, for the first time in history, for the first time in history, the doctrine of the church, which is ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church is being studied and it is the topic of the day. For the first time in all of history. Now let me, let me give you briefly uh, this, the doctrines that, that, the, that the world worked through and continues to work through, and, and I promise you this is going to lead you somewhere. So if, if you like history, you are going to be all in this morning. How many of you like history? Okay. How many of you do not like history? All right, awesome. This is going to be great. This is great. This is, I want you to look up here on the screen. This is going to give you an idea of really what is going on and what happened. Um, 
There you go. All right, all right. Um, I also hope you brought your binoculars and so uh, to see that, and uh, uh, that's my fault. But anyways, let me just tell you what's going on in our world that kind of has led us to where we are today. In the first three centuries of the faith, so we're talking after Jesus has risen from the dead, uh, he's ascended into heaven, and we see that the earth, the church has begun, right? So in the first three centuries of our faith, uh, the major doctrine that was being discussed among people of faith was the Bible, bibliology, meaning where, where do, what is the Bible? What, what, what belongs in the Bible? And we know that during Jesus' day, all he had was what? The Old Testament. And so the disciples and those who come along, they write what we now call the, the New Testament. And so in the first three centuries, these, these were the battles, meaning what goes on in our scripture? What belongs? What texts belong there? Because you may or may not know this, but there are several letters that have been written during uh, early parts of right after Jesus died that, that aren't in the Bible, but they're considered spiritual texts, but they are not in the Bible. In first three centuries, that's what the world wrestled with. Yes, in the fourth to fifth century. See, this is how you make history real exciting right here, right? So in the fourth to fifth century, the next doctrine was the Christology. Who is Christ? Because there was a heresy that was going on during the day that Jesus was really not fully God and fully man. And so the church had to wrestle with that to refute all of the heresies. And so for a couple of centuries, the idea was around Christology. Then that moves into the fifth century, which is anthropology, which is the study of mankind, meaning what is man? Who is man? Uh, what is man? Or what is male? What is female? Now, I can tell you this. This is a doctrine that we are studying today as well. Amen? And it needs to be studied because there are some heresies and some false teachings that are going on out there regarding what is man. But we've already had this discussion as the world in the fifth century, what, who is man, who is female? We know this from Genesis chapter 1 that says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and it says in verse 26 of Genesis 1 that he created them male and female. It's the only two options. Is male and female, and he created them in his image. But in the fifth century, that was, um, that was the difficulty. And then in the sixth century, we studied this really, really difficult word. Anybody want to try to pronounce that word in, in, in the sixth century? It's exactly right, just how you said it. That's exactly right. What that is, that's the study of sin. What is sin? And what we've discovered and what we know from scriptures, what sin is, sin is simply we're just missing the mark. We're not even close to who Jesus wants us to be. We're not even close to the Heavenly Father. And that all becomes what we know as sin. That sin has done what to us? It has separated us from the great God. And that is everybody, all mankind from beginning to end, at one point or another, we have all been separated. But praise be to God, through his death, burial, and resurrection, we now can be close to our Heavenly Father through his Son, whose name is Jesus. Amen? But listen, the church has wrestled with these things. We've wrestled with them and we've come to the conclusions through God's word. This is what it says. But then something happens around the 6th century. And it lasts for about 10 centuries, over a thousand years, and it's called the Middle Ages, also known as the Dark Ages. Do you know why it's called the Dark Ages? Not much happened. 
Not much happened. But then you jump forward to the 15th and 16th century, and this is a major player. This, those centuries are major players in our world, and this era is called the Reformation. You've heard of the name of Martin Luther. You've heard of the name of John Calvin. But it's during this time of the Reformation that the church comes back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, prior to that in the Middle Ages, guess what takes place? Politics and religion begin to marry with one another. How did that work out for the world? It didn't work out well, and it, does ne it never works out well. Uh, but in the 15th to 16th century, we have the Reformation where we come back to the gospel, to the Bible, and we reform back to what Scripture says. From there, you go into the 18th and 19th centuries, and we pick up bibliology again, the study of the Bible. Is it really true? Now, why did we study that in the 18th to 19th centuries? Because there is a prevalent, a prevalent thought that was rising up that says this that man is better than God. And so the church had to go back to the Bible saying, no, the Bible says this, this is what we believe, and we have to refute heresies. And this is what the church battled with. Then comes along the 20th century, just the last century, and something new comes up onto the scene, and it's called the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, which is called pneumatology. In the 20th century, we began to see the rise of Pentecostal churches. We began to see churches who are based upon experience. They may look more at experience experiences then they will the truth, but the church had to wrestle with this, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But then you come along into the 21st century that we live in now, and guess what begins to happen? The church begins to study the church. And it never happened in all of the world history. But it is happening now that the church is figuring out what is the church what does the church look like? Is the church really doing what it's supposed to do? And, and, and folks, I got to tell you this. this is, it's extremely important that we study the church. Now, I promise you, this is, this is going to be a long introduction to a very short message. But it paves the way for where I want us to go over the next several weeks and months as we talk about the unstoppable church. Listen, there's two reasons, and I want you to write these down. There's two reasons why I believe that the study of the church is extremely important today. Number one, I want you to write this down. Because we need to study the church because there is the rise of secularism. Or there's the dominant view of secularism. Everybody know what secularism is? It means a worldview without God. And folks, I want you to understand this, that for the church, for the first time here in America, in all of America history, the church is outside of the culture. Amen? We, amen? Absolutely. We are outside the culture. For the first time in American history, the church no longer rides with the culture. The culture has gone left and the church is going, what in the world? We need to stay right on the straight and narrow, but we are struggling, and we see this going on right before our very eyes. And you know this. Today, the church, believers, Christians, followers of Jesus, we are seen as aliens in this world. We are looked upon not positively for the first time in American history. Now, why is that? It's because the culture is going the ways of the devil, the ways of the world, but the church, 
The church believes that everything is from God, it's by God, and it is for God. Amen? And the church believes that, and the church stands on that, and the church believes that all type of rebellion is sin against God. That's what the church believes, and that's what the church stands for. And we believe that Jesus is the only way for the culture to be corrected and to be righted, and this is what the church stands for. But we live in a day with secularism, which says this, I can live a life without God. I can do whatever I want. Who cares what anybody says? I'm going to do it my own way. That's secularism. And here's what happens in this world. As believers in Christ, we will be persecuted. Look at your neighbor and say, oh boy. <laughs> You're going to be persecuted. It was interesting this morning, I was uh, driving into work, and I'm driving over the bridge, and I, t and I, and I looked to the left, and I can, you, can see the, you can see our church's steeple. And as I look over there, guess what was over the steeple? There was a rainbow. There was a rainbow. And it was just a great reminder to me that a rainbow, listen, a rainbow is God's covenant to the earth that he will not destroy the earth with a flood ever. Amen? The rainbow is not a sign of a covenant of sexual freedom. Are you with me? And because I said that, and because you believe it, you will be persecuted. And in no way, shape, way, or form is that meant to hurt anybody's feelings. It's the truth. And as the church of Jesus Christ in the day of secularism, we stand for the truth. And we will tell the truth and we will do it in love because we want you to know that Jesus saves and he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Amen. But this is the era that we live in, so studying the church is extremely important. Another reason why I believe it's important that we study the church, secularism, and then the other one is pluralism. Pluralism means this, that there are people, the culture believes that there are multiple ways to God. Do you realize that? That people in this world believe that there are more than one way to get to our Heavenly Father. That's a prevailing thought. And here's what studies are showing today, church, that a great number of evangelicals who go to churches like First Baptist Church or other churches, evangelicals who come and sit under biblical teaching, supposed biblical teaching, go to small groups, there are an overwhelming large number of believers in Jesus Christ who believe that Jesus is not the only way. You read the studies. And folks, as a church, we must stand with Jesus. But when we stand with Jesus, you and I, we will be considered intolerant, arrogant, and bigots. All the things that you want to be called. Amen? This is what you live for. I want to be called arrogant. I want to be called 
bigoted. I want to be called crazy. All the things you want to be called, but no, that's not what you want. But guess what? That's what you're called. Because that's who we are. Because we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And as long as I'm the pastor of this church, we will not be moved from those statements. Yeah. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. I just want to read this text real quick with you. You're very familiar with it. And this is going to lead us into our time in the book of Acts. But as we're setting up this idea of the church and as our culture and the church is studying the church, what does Jesus say about the church? And then what I want to see is what took place in the early church from Acts chapter 5. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 and following. We know this as Peter's confession of Christ. And this is when Jesus says, I think one of the most amazing statements in all of Scripture regarding the church. Follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. Matthew 16 verse 13 says this, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Now when Jesus asked this question, um, he is uh, standing in a, a, a demon-possessed, demonic-filled area. That's where it is. He's literally standing in an area where there is a hole in the mountain that it is literally called the gates of hell. That's what it's literally called. And so he's standing there and asking, who do the people say that I am? Verse 14, they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you disciples say that I am? And then Peter says this, and this is what I call, this is the church's confession. Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's our confession. That Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And then Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my, but my Father uh, who is in heaven. And then in verse 18, I call this, this is the church's foundation. And then Jesus said this, and I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, what's the rock? It's his confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon his confession, Jesus then says this, and I will build my, what? I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. What does Jesus say about the church? Jesus here in Matthew 16, 13 through 18, he says two things about the church. Number one, he says this, he will build the church. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say this, it's not your responsibility to build the church. And look at your other neighbor and say, yours either. It's not our responsibility to build the church. Whose responsibility is it to build the church? Oh, come on. Whose responsibility is it to build the church? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus says, I will build my church. And then what else does Jesus say about the church? He says, the gates of hell cannot what? Cannot overpower it, cannot overcome it. In other words, Jesus said this, and I want you to write this down because this is true, it is biblical, and it comes right here from what we're reading. The church is unstoppable. Won't you say that with me? The church is unstoppable. 
The church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. Well, that's what we're going to look at over the next several weeks. Because I believe this in the next coming days, weeks, months, I don't know how many years left. Jesus is coming soon. And the bride of Christ needs to be ready. And we need to be ready. And we need to make sure that the rest of the world is ready to meet Jesus as well. Amen? Well, the church is unstoppable. Go to Acts chapter 5. Go to Acts chapter 5, and I want to show you um, in verses 11 through 42 of Acts chapter 5, we're not going to make it, I'm not going to read all of those verses, but as we pick up where we stopped in the spring and for the summer, what did we see, what do we see in the early church that says the church is unstoppable. So look with me in Acts chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse number 11, and I want you to write down this, write down this. The church is unstoppable because it's powerful. The church of Jesus Christ has power. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have power. Now let me give you a couple reasons why we have power. Look in verse number 11, and let's follow along. Verse 11 says this, And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard all these things. Right here in Acts 5, verse 11, this is the first time the word ecclesia, church, is used in the book of Acts. From this point on, in the book of Acts, we talk about the church. From this point on, we'll see what the church goes through, we'll see the church send missionaries, and we will see how the church just begins to explode, and we'll see that the church of Jesus is truly unstoppable. Now, why is the church unstoppable? Look at verse number 12. And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. Or write this down. The church is powerful. It was powerful because they were prayer warriors. Now beside verse number 12, in your Bible or in your notes, write this. The church, the early church was powerful because they were prayer warriors. Now, how in the world, pastor, did you get from verse number 12 that the early church was prayer warriors? How did you get that? Well, it's very simple. Acts chapter 5, everything that happens in Acts chapter 5 and onward is a result from Acts chapter 4. Turn over to Acts chapter 4. I want you to look with me in verse number uh, 29. Y'all still with me this morning? I can do another history lesson. You want to do that? Stay with me, Acts chapter 4. Now you remember in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, Peter preaches, thousands come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to a prayer meeting. Uh, they heal a lame man. Uh, this lame man begins to jump up and dance. A crowd is brought to them in Acts chapter 3. In Acts 3, Peter begins to preach the gospel message again. Thousands are saved, but something happens in Acts chapter 3. They are arrested. They're arrested, they get a talking to, and they are released. Well, then we come again to Acts chapter 4. They, are, they, have, they have been arrested, and we're going to see an interesting dialogue between uh, the religious leaders who tell Peter and John, you cannot speak the name of Jesus. You can't do it. And Peter and John say to them, well, I tell you what, you political righteous leaders, you can't tell us what to do. We're going to keep preaching Jesus. And an amazing thing happened. They, they just released them. They didn't do anything to them. 
And so Peter and John come back to all of the disciples, probably thousands of disciples, and they begin to tell them this whole story of them being persecuted, of them being uh, told you cannot preach in the name of Jesus. And here's what happens. When Peter and John tell the disciples of the other church about their persecution, about their imprisonment, and about um, being told not to preach, here's what happens. The disciples rejoiced, and they had a prayer meeting. They had a prayer meeting. And they said, God, we thank you. You are so wonderful. You are so, you're a sovereign God. We love you. We thank you. But in verse 29, they get down to the nitty-gritty, and they ask God certain things. Look with me. Look at what they ask. Look at verse 29. In verse 29, this prayer meeting, and this is what the disciples began to ask God. Verse 29. And they said, oh, now, Lord, oh, sovereign God, take note of their threats. In other words, did you see what these bad people did? And then they say, and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word with boldness. They prayed that that God would do signs and wonders through them. They prayed that they could be bold and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. They prayed that God would see what these evil people are doing. They prayed this. And you come over to Acts chapter 5, verse 12, and guess what happens? God answered their prayer. Amazing. God answered their prayer. And in Acts 5, 12, we see this. The disciples are performing signs and wonders, and this is taking place among the people. Why did this happen? Because the early church were prayer warriors. Their power did not come from them simply praying. Their power came from the one that they are praying to. Listen, there's really no magic words in your prayers, are there? The power comes from whom we are communicating with. It's when you pray, you humble yourself, and you speak to, oh, sovereign Lord, our creator, the sovereign one, that's where the power comes from. It's not your words. There's no, there's no magic spell in your words. All that prayer is is you're reaching out to the one who has all the power, and you're asking him to do something on your behalf. And the early church was unstoppable because they prayed and they were specific in their prayers and they asked God to do certain things. And guess what God did? He answered their prayers. Dr. Charles Stanley always said this, and uh, and I've always loved this quote. He said this, when you fight your battles on your knees, you win every time. Church, you want power? You get on your knees. You get on your knees and you pray. And you don't do it just individually, you do it corporately. You do it in your small groups. You do it with your family. You do it with your discipleship groups. You get some prayer warriors behind you and beside you, and when you pray, and when we as a church pray, that's when God's power is released. Warren Wiersbe one time said this. He said, division in the church always hinders God's power. And when there is no power, he said this, you need to check two things. You need to check the prayer of the church, and you need to check the unity of the church. 
the early church in Acts 5.12, what we see is they are a praying church, and we also see they are a unified church. Look at the end of verse 12. In the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. Once you look at that phrase, one accord. Um, it's an interesting Greek word here. Uh, let me spell it out for you. It is H. O-N-D-A. <laughs> not really. That's a joke. It's not a Honda. But it is an interesting Greek word here. That phrase, one accord, I want you to listen, because this is where the early church gets their power. And we talk a lot about where's the power in the church. This is where it comes from. This is the engine. You with me? This is the engine. The phrase, one accord, it's the Greek word, hamathamadon. It's a big word. Hamas, or homos, means same. Mathadon means passion or purpose. You put these two together, the word accord, or the Greek homothomadon, it means singleness of mind, of purpose, and of passion. It's the idea of your being on the same team, and you have the same goal in mind. And so the early church, you wonder where the early church gets its power from. The early church gets its power from being prayer warriors, and, it come, and their power comes from being unified. They're on the same team, and they're going in the same direction. And when you see the body of Christ and the church move in one direction, you are going to see the power of the Almighty God work through that church to spread the gospel to a lost and dying world. And this is what we see in the early church. The early church, I believe the early church was the purest church there was, especially after the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Amen? Amen. They were pure. They were holy. They were powerful. Why? They knew. They knew the powers in the prayer, and they knew that the powers found in their unification. Well, what was the result of them being prayer warriors? What was the result of them being unified? Well, you can imagine it's persecution. Jump down to verse number 17, and I want you to write this down. Persecution and prison cannot stop the church. Look at verse number 17. We pick up the story. But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that's the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. Keep the picture in your mind. Acts 4, the disciples preached, they're arrested, released, they start to preach again in Acts chapter 5, and it says here in verse 17, the religious leaders of the day are jealous. That word jealous in Greek, it means to boil over. So the idea behind these men being jealous is they are so angry, they are just boiling over with anger at Peter and John and all the disciples. In verse number 18 it says, and they laid hands on the apostles and they put them in jail. I mean, these guys are angry. Listen, when political leaders and religious leaders of the day don't like what you are doing, they are going to get jealous and they are going to harm you. 
Pastor, where do you get that from? Look at history. Look at history. In all of mankind, when the church begins to operate in the Holy Spirit and it goes against the political leaders, I'm just telling you, church, the political leaders turn against the church. It happens. You're saying, Pastor, you're pretty strong today. Because it's happening right before our eyes. It's happening before our eyes that the political leaders are turning against the church. But listen, the Bible teaches us that the church is unstoppable. Persecution and prison cannot stop us. Do you know who the most persecuted group in all the world is? Do you know who the, the, the most persecuted group is? I'll tell you what the media wants you to believe. You know what the media wants you to believe. It's the LGBTQABCDEFG. They're the most persecuted people in the world. That's what the, that's what the media wants you to believe. That's what our politicians want us to believe. The sexual revolution, those who are being oppressed are the most persecuted people in all the world. Folks, let me tell you something. That's the furthest thing from the truth. That's not true. The group of people that is persecuted more than anybody else in all of the world, you know who it is? It's believers in Jesus Christ. And all through this series, we're going to be talking about persecution. And we'll be talking about when you do God's work, and as John Reed said last week, when God moves and we move, then when that happens, I'm telling you, you enter into a spiritual realm and the gates of hell will try to come after you, but we must always remember that the gates of hell cannot overcome us. And so we stand firm. We stand firm even when persecution and even when prison comes our way. Listen to what Cyprian, who was the bishop of Carthage in the third century, said. Listen to this. Y'all still with me this morning? Listen to what he says. He says, it is a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But in the midst of it, I have found a quiet and a holy people who have learned a great secret. They are the despised and the persecuted, but they care not. Do you know why? Because they have overcome the world, and these people are called Christians. Church, you and I, we are powerful even when persecution and prison comes our way. Now you say, Pastor, prison, come on, come on. Let me just say this to you, church. Don't be naive. Moms and dads, don't be naive to think that something bad could not happen to your sons and daughters because they're followers of Jesus Christ. Don't be naive. Are you with me? We can't be naive. We can't stick our heads in the sand and think, oh, well, everything's going to be great. I've got all these plans for my, my children and my grandchildren. Listen, don't be naive. The greatest, listen, this is hard. 
because I have to wrestle with it too. But the greatest, moms, dads, listen, the greatest thing that can ever happen for your son and your daughter is that they would live a life passionately in love with Jesus. It's the greatest thing. It's not money, it's not accomplishments. Those are great. I want my daughters to be rich to take care of me when I get old. That's what I want. (laughs) But the greatest thing It's for your sons and your daughters and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren that they would live a life for Jesus that Satan comes after them because they are taking the world for Jesus. That's the greatest thing. There's not many amens on that, is there? Because it's hard. But what this world needs today, more than anything else, the world needs men and women who are completely sold out to Jesus Christ, who will obey Jesus no matter the cost and be willing to face the consequences. That's what this world needs. And if that means persecution, and if that means prison, so be it. There was a pastor out in Texas, I'm just remembering this story right now, I don't know if I'll get it exactly right, but uh, um, he said that he was, uh, he was in college with another roommate, and uh, they were traveling, um, uh, coming back from a, a speaking engagement, or actually they were traveling to a speaking engagement before the weekend, and they were going to come back, and uh, I remember the pastor said to his friend, hey, would you pray for us before we go on the trip? And his friend said, absolutely, we'll pray for you. And his friend said this, Lord, I pray that you would protect us as we make our way to our destination to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, if that will bring you glory. But if it brings you more glory for us to be killed in a car crash. And this pastor said, I never asked my friend to pray again. (laughs) Well, anyways, verse 28, pick up this story. The disciples, they have been arrested um, <clears throat> verse 19, excuse me, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared, opened the gates of the prison, and, and a miracle happened, and the disciples go back to preaching out in the temple. So the, the church is powerful because God's going to take care of it. Listen, if you get into persecution, you get into prison, God's going to take care of you. It's going to be okay. And this is what happens. So disciples get back out to preaching. The religious leaders get upset. Again, they arrest them once again, and look in verse number 28, and this is what they say. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood up on us. Now watch this. Here's what we need. Ready? Look at verse 29. And Peter and the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men. Wow. That's the power of the church. But what I want you to see in this, it says Peter and the apostles. This is not done alone. It's done together. Are you with me? Peter and the disciples said, we will obey God more than man. Wow. It's pretty impressive. And this is what we need, and this is, what, this is where our power will come from. So the church is unstoppable, it's powerful, 
It's powerful because it prays. It's powerful because it's united. Uh, persecution in prison cannot contain the church. And here's the last thing, and we're going to be done. I'm not able to get through all of this passage. There's so much in here. I could preach for hours on this, and you'd be willing to sit and listen to every single word for those hours. Amen. You liars. <laughs> you liars. Here's the third thing I want to share with you, and we're going to be close to being done. The church is unstoppable when Jesus is continually preached and taught. When the church is unstoppable, when we keep Jesus as our priority and our focus. Amen? And this is what the early church did. Look in verse number 40. Look in verse number 40, and we'll work through 42. Disciples had been arrested, and they'd been talked to, and then verse 40 says, uh, they took Gamaliel's advice, and after calling in the apostles, they flogged them, they beat them, and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. And look at verse 41. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Man, we need that. Man, we need that. That I would rejoice because I suffer for the name of Jesus. We're not talking about there's a physical ailment. We're not talking about there's a financial ailment. That's not what we're talking about. They suffered because they preached Jesus. And they rejoiced. And I love what verse 42 says. And every day <clears throat> in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Do you know what that phrase kept right on means? Do you know what that means? It means kept right on. <laughs> they did not stop. You know why they did not stop? Because the church is unstoppable. You cannot, nobody cannot, Satan cannot stop the church of Jesus Christ. There's this idea going around that the church is useless. It's a worn out institution. Is that the truth? No. One thing I've heard a lot is that um, a lot of the generation behind me and down will hear these words that um, we, we love Jesus, but we just don't like the church. I got a problem with that. Because we are the church. Has the church messed up in history? Has the church made some mistakes? Is the church going to make some mistakes again in the future? Yes, but it doesn't change the fact that the church is God's church and it is unstoppable. Amen? Won't you stand with me? I want us to read Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 on the screen behind me. I want us to read this together and then Chase is going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. But Matthew 16, 18, let's say it together. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let's say that again. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Folks, the church is unstoppable.
Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today. Father, I thank you that you are the author, the builder, and the holder together of the church. Father, I thank you that you are the one who is in complete control of the church and that in this age, the church is your avenue for sharing the gospel and meeting the needs of the world around us. And Father, I pray within this room, with those who are listening to uh, today's message, that we will be convicted by seeing what the early church and the early disciples did. When they were confronted, they said, we will preach Jesus, we will obey God more than men, and that we would rejoice that we have suffered for Jesus, that we would be considered worthy to suffer. Father, I pray that that could be us, God. But more importantly, Father God, we want the world to know that Jesus saves and that you cannot stop the church. Nothing can. May we walk in the power of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said amen and amen.